Chapter Twelve of Leatherface, A Tale of Old Flanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Leatherface, A Tale of Old Flanders by Baroness Orksey. Chapter Twelve Reprisals. It is to the Seigneur de Varnuic, that excellent and faithful chronicler, that we are indebted for the most detailed account of all the events which occurred in the city of Ghent during those few memorable days in October. The weather, he tells us, had been perpetually rainy, and the days were drawing in rapidly for it was then the nineteenth of the month and what with the sky so perpetually overcast it was nearly dark when close upon five o'clock in the afternoon the ensigns of the companies of walloon soldiery first entered the city by the wall-port they demanded admittance in the name of the king the regent and the lieutenant-governor and the guard at the gate would certes never have ventured to refuse what they asked at first the townsfolk were vastly entertained at seeing so many troops nothing was further from their mind than the thought that these had been sent into the city with evil intent so the gaffers and gossips stood about in the streets and open places staring at the fine pageant and the women and children gaped at the soldiers from the windows of their houses all in perfect good humour and little dreaming of the terrible misery which these soldiers were bringing in their train into the beautiful city of ghent no one thought of civil strife then in the forefront marched men and young boys who carried javelins in their hands and had round shields swung upon their arm these shields were bordered with a rich fringe of crimson silk and they glittered like steel in the damp atmosphere after these men a company of halberdiers from the garrisons of mechlin and alost and they looked splendid in their striped doublets their plumed bonnets slung behind their backs their enormous boots reaching halfway up their thighs in the midst of them rode the master of the camp on his cream charger the ends of his crimson and yellow scarf soaked through with rain and driven by the wind flapped unremittingly against his steel cuirass whilst the plumes on his felt hat hung bedraggled into his face then came the arquebusiers marching five abreast and there were several thousands of them for it took half an hour for them all to cross the bridge these were followed by a vast number of elegant foot-soldiers carrying their huge lances upon their shoulders well armed magnificently accoutred their armor highly polished and richly engraved and wearing gauntlets and steel bonnets finally came three companies of artillery with culverines and falconets 
and with five wagons, and behind them the massed drummers and fifers who brought up the rear playing gay music as they marched. The troops assembled on the cooter, which was thronged to overflowing with gaffers and idlers. Everyone was talking and jesting then. No one had a thought of what was to come. No one looked upon these gaily decked troops with any sinister prescience of coming evil. They were nearly all Walloons from the provinces of Antwerp and Brabant, and many of them spoke the Flemish tongue in addition to their own, and when after inspection they stood or walked at ease on the cooter, the girls exchanged jests and merry sallies with them. Two hours later the Duke of Alva entered the city. It was a very dark night, but the rain had left off. The lieutenant-governor had a company of lancers with him, and these were Spanish, every man of them. One hundred torch-bearers accompanied the duke and his escort, and they had much difficulty in keeping their torches alight in the damp night air. The flames spluttered and sizzled, and the men waved the torches about so that sparks flew about in every direction to the grave danger of the peaceable citizens who were in the foremost ranks of the crowd. It was to be supposed that the high bailiff and sheriffs of the city had been warned of the arrival of his highness, for they met him at the wall-port, attired, despite the threatening weather, in their magnificent civic robes. The duke, who rode a black charger, paused just inside the gates, and listened in silence to the loyal address which these dignitaries presented to him. The sizzling torches threw a weird, unsteady light upon the scene, distorting every form into a grotesque shape, half concealing, half illumining, the stern face of the lieutenant-governor draped in his velvet robe. When the loyal address had been duly presented, and further speeches of welcome delivered by the senior sheriff and by the shout, the lieutenant-governor demanded that the keys of the city be within the hour brought to him on the cooter where he would be inspecting the troops this demand greatly astonished the sheriffs and aldermen but they did not dare to raise any objections and promised that they would most dutifully comply with his highness's request with my commands the duke corrected them curtly nor would he dismiss the grave signors, but kept them kneeling there before him in the mud, until they had humbly assured him that they would execute his commands, whereupon the duke proceeded to the cooter. The troops had been aligned for his inspection, and a very gay and gaudy throng they looked in the flickering torchlight all the houses round the place were lighted up from within by now and crowds thronged in from all the side streets it was many years since ghent had seen so gay a sight 
there were three hundred torch-bearers on the parade-ground by now each with huge resin torches and so brightly illumined was the place that you could have deciphered a letter out in the open just as easily as you would in daylight lances and halberds held erect formed a shimmering background to the picture like a forest of straight tall stems and their metal heads glimmered like little tongues of fire throwing out strange and unexpected flashes of light as the men moved who held them in the centre of the picture the duke of alva on horseback the endurance of the man was absolutely wonderful he had ridden all the way from brussels that day starting at daybreak a matter of nine leagues and more he had tired two horses out but not himself and he was a man of sixty the chronicler goes on to tell us that the duke's face looked grim and determined but not fatigued and in his prominent eyes under their drooping lids was a glitter like steel hard and cruel and triumphant too he held the reins of his charger with one hand the other was on his hip he wore a felt hat which he had pulled down upon his brow and a huge cape of dark woolen stuff lined with purple silk which covered his shoulders and fell right round him over his saddle-bow a group of cavaliers surrounded him in fantastic multicolored doublets and hose all slashed and pinked and enormous bonnets covered with gigantic plumes and behind these stood the standard-bearers the autumn wind had caught the folds of the huge ensigns which were grouped in half-dozens close together so that the great folds interlocked from time to time and spread themselves out like a monster moving waving mass of crimson and yellow with the devices of the companies embroidered thereon in black and silver it was indeed a fine and picturesque spectacle arranged with a view to making it impressive and to strike awe into the hearts of the citizens the civic dignitaries had returned by now and the high bailiff had brought the keys of the town upon a velvet cushion he and the ten sheriffs and the shout the fifteen road shoppen who were the city councillors and the shepens who were the aldermen all approached the lieutenant-governor with back nearly bent double in their loyalty and humility but when they were within speaking distance of the duke they all had to kneel just as before in the mud and the dirt the master of the camp was there to direct them and they had not the pluck to resist then the high bailiff was made to advance alone with the cushion in both his hands and upon the cushion the keys of the city and he was made to kneel close to the duke's stirrup and humbly present him with the keys the lieutenant-governor said curtly tis well and ordered the chief gentleman of his bodyguard to take possession of the keys then he said in a loud voice so that every one could hear the gates of this city shall be closed this night and will so remain until such time 
as the order which i am about to give to the inhabitants is complied with there was a prolonged roll of drums and the gentlemen of the bodyguard rode away from the place with a company of halberdiers and he carried the keys of the city with him he was going to close the gates of the city as the lieutenant-governor directed when the roll of the drums had died away there was a moment's silence on the huge overcrowded counter through which you might have heard a thousand hearts beating in sudden deathly anxiety here then was no ordinary pageant no mere display of soldiery and of arms such as the spaniards were over fond of something momentous was about to happen which in these days of perpetual strife and continuous oppression could but mean sorrow and humiliation to this proud city and to her freedom-loving children the high bailiff and the shout and the town councillors were all kept kneeling though they were elderly men most of them and the ground was very damp and the people crowded in all round the soldiers as near as they could in order to hear what his highness wished to say citizens of ghent he began in his harsh and strident voice which could be heard from end to end of the cowder it has come to my knowledge that william of nassau prince of orange is dwelling in this city and that contrary to the ordinance of our sovereign lord the king he hath attempted to levy troops within these gates for an unlawful purpose those who have thus in defiance of all law and order enrolled themselves under a standard of rebellion and have taken up arms against our sovereign lord and king will be dealt with summarily but in the meanwhile understand that any one who henceforth harbors under his roof the said william of nassau prince of orange or assists or aids him to leave this city is guilty of rebellion and will be punished with death understand also that it is my desire that the person of the prince of orange be delivered unto me within forty-eight hours at the castile where i shall be lodging and that i have ordered that the gates of the city be closed until the expiration of that time and finally understand that if within forty-eight hours the person of william of nassau prince of orange is not delivered unto me then will the whole city of ghent be guilty of treason and rebellion and every man woman and child in it will be punishable with death and the town itself will be dealt with as summarily as romans and valenciennes and mechlin god bless our gracious and merciful king he raised his hat and lifted his face up to heaven and his lips were seen to move as if in prayer the master of the camp gave the signal for a huge and prolonged roll of drums which echoed from end to end of the cooter and into every corner of the city and all the soldiers set up a lusty shout of god bless our sovereign lord and king but the people were silent no one uttered a word no one joined in the shouting 
men looked at one another with scared wide-open eyes the boldest had become as pale as death some of the women swooned with terror others broke into terrified sobs even the children realized that something very terrible had occurred they clung weeping to their mother's skirts the lieutenant-governor having spoken wheeled round his horse and rode slowly across the cooter closely surrounded by his bodyguard and his torch-bearers just then so monsieur de varnewick assures us the wind which had been very boisterous all the evening suddenly dropped and the air became very still and strangely oppressive a few huge drops of rain fell making a loud patter upon the steel bonnets and cuirasses of the soldiers and then a streak of vivid lightning rent the black clouds right out over the lay and a terrific clap of thunder shook the very houses of the city upon their foundation the duke of alva's horse reared and nearly threw him there was momentary confusion too among the bodyguard those who were devout catholics promptly crossed themselves those who were superstitious at once saw in that curious and unexpected phenomenon a warning from god himself then the rain came down in torrents and speedily dispersed the crowd the civic magistrates and councillors were at last able to struggle to their feet most of them felt cramped from the lengthy kneeling they assembled in groups and whispered with one another the townsfolk looked on them with eyes full of anxiety it was to them that the poorer people must look for help in this awful calamity which threatened them all after the lieutenant-governor and his cortege had left the cooter the soldiers broke ground and ran wild throughout the city no special lodgings had been allotted to them but apparently they had been told that they could quarter themselves where they listed they began by taking possession of the covered markets and this could easily have been tolerated but many of them raided the houses of peaceful citizens in a manner most unseemly and often brutal making terrible noise and confusion throughout the city they treated the owners of the houses as if the latter were not but menials and they themselves the masters of the place so much so indeed that several families left their homes in the possession of the soldiery and took refuge with relations who had not been thus inflicted terror and misery had rapidly spread throughout the city there were many who had not heard the proclamation of the lieutenant-governor and when the rumor reached them that numbers of soldiers were billeted in the town they made preparations for immediate flight some even went so far as to load all their furniture and effects upon wagons ready to go out of the city this very night for they remembered how five years ago when first the duke of alva's troops were quartered in ghent how abominably they had behaved toward all the citizens robbing looting and pillaging for all the world as if they were bands of brigands rather than disciplined soldiers great was the terror 
and consternation of those who wanted to flee now when they understood that all the city gates were closed and that no one would be allowed to go through them until the prince of orange who was said to be in ghent was delivered over to the lieutenant-governor this was indeed a terrible state of things and one destined to strike hopeless terror in the hearts of most seeing that hardly any one inside the city knew aught of the prince of orange or of his comings and goings and yet they were liable to be punished for treason in which they had had no share and in the meanwhile the soldiers ran riot throughout the city even though with much ostentation a great deal of to-do and much beating of drums their provosts read out at the four corners of the city a proclamation forbidding all looting and marauding and enjoining the men under pain of hanging to take anything from the citizens without paying for it this proclamation was of course a mere farce for the soldiers despite the lateness of the hour had at once raided the butchers bakers and other provision shops and though they professed to pay for everything they took they refused to give more than one sou for a pound of meat and then they cut out all the bone and threw it back in the face of the wretched butcher who tried to argue with them and all the while remember that these men were not spaniards they were walloons of the provinces immediately adjacent to the two flanders and their kith and kin had also grievously suffered from spanish arrogance and oppression but what will men not do for money or under compulsion or mayhap under that abject fear which the very name of alva had brought forth into the heart of people who had once been so proud and so independent the signor de vernewick puts it on record that in his opinion the employing of walloon troops to check the so-called revolt of ghent was an act of refined cruelty on the part of the duke he liked to pit brother against brother kinsman against his own kind he had cowed the flemings and the walloons to such an extent that now at last he could use one against the other and could rely on each side being more cruel and relentless through that extraordinary perversion of human nature which makes civil strife so much more brutal and horrible than any war between the nations End of chapter twelve